Hi, Story Savants. How you doing? Today, I'm going to talk about how to begin a scene, especially the first scene in your book. Most people know that you only have a few lines to hook readers, so I'm going to give you a list of do's and don'ts to get this first scene right to make sure that you keep the reader reading your story. So come along with me and let's do this. Welcome to the Story Savant podcast, where we geek out about stories and pull insights from them that will make us better human beings all while going about our day, raising the kids, paying the bills, and striving to be compassionate, empathetic players in our own lives. You feel me? Hi, I'm Liesl Hill, author, entrepreneur, and story lover. I believe consuming stories in any form encourages Christian values, increases spirituality, and helps us develop a more transcendent and godlike understanding of the world around us, the universe at large, and God's plan for us in it. Come join me. Let's talk stories. Good morning, Story Savants. All right, so we're going to talk about scenes today. I've had a lot of questions about this, but before we get into it, I'm going to do a bit of a personal update here. I have kind of a fun story to tell. I had a really, really great experience on Thursday when I went to my writer's group, and I wanted to share this because I think it would be really inspirational for some people. So I had been writing a story. I have a writer's group with uh, several other authors in it who I have known for a long time, and we swap chapters and critique each other's stuff. And actually, you might get to meet them on the podcast at some point. Haven't quite set that up yet, but you might. I was sending them dragon magic because that's what I'm working on currently. I had written a particular scene uh, the week before about a character who basically has all these visions of the future and uses what she sees in those visions to make a big decision. While the critique I got back from my group was that they weren't sure that what was seen in the visions was quite enough to convince them that she would have made that decision. Like there needed to be a little bit more obvious push on her part that would help her to make that decision. And so I basically told them to hang out and wait until next week because the next chapter might answer their questions in that regard. And they were, of course, very willing to do that. And as I went through the week and was thinking about it more and more, I basically came up with a scene that I thought would probably work. It would be like an extra thing I added into the visions that would answer their questions. And really, I probably should have waited to put that in and, you know, waited to hear what their critiques were on the next chapter, as I had originally told them. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought they were right, and that I probably needed that scene. So I just went ahead and wrote it, and then I also gave them the next chapter. The reason that I'm telling you this is that it's a little bit related to imposter syndrome, which I talked about last week. It wasn't quite imposter syndrome, but it's kind of in that same vein. I know that all of us, if you haven't yet, you will at some point, but all writers at some point will have this experience where you write something and you think it's really, really terrible. It's like the worst thing you've ever written. You know it's just really sprawling and all over the place and that it needs some work and that it needs some editing. And then to your great surprise, you'll put it out there and find that people really, really love it. It's really not an uncommon experience. It happens all the time. And and the flip thing too is that sometimes you'll have something you put your heart and soul into and that you really love and you're really excited for people to read and they'll kind of be like, meh, you know. <laughs> And that, of course, is kind of frustrating. I don't know exactly why this happens. Maybe because the thing that you're most worried about, you actually end up doing your best work on. Or uh, maybe because when you write something really good, you become your own worst critic and immediately become really insecure about it. I don't know. In my case, it wasn't imposter syndrome. I wasn't insecure about it, but I just kind of knew that they'd had some problems the week before, and they would probably have a lot more edits or corrections for what I was giving them this week. And I wasn't worried about that. You know, these are my critique partners. We do this every week, and I, I wasn't feeling insecure about it or anything. I just kind of figured that there would be some work to do when I got back their critiques, and it would be a jumping off point so that I could make all the chapters, you know, flow together and, and work for the reader. And to my great surprise, they didn't have hardly 
any edits uh, across the board. All of my group just said they absolutely loved it and it was perfect and it was wonderful. And not that they didn't give me some edits about where I could strengthen some things in the chapters, they did, but I was just so pleasantly surprised that they loved it. It just made me so happy and it was such a great evening. The funny thing is, <laughs> you would think that being a more seasoned writer that, I mean, of course, you're always grateful when somebody likes your work, but that it wouldn't affect you so much that you would kind of be over it, so to speak. Yeah, no, no. Uh, writers never get over it. <laughs> Anyone tells us that they like our work even just a little tiny bit, and we are alight with the glow of a million fairies for like a month and a half. And yes, that was a friend's reference. So um, anyway, I just had this really, it was a fun experience, and it got me super hyped up even more than I already am to write my story, and it was just super fun. So I, I wanted to tell you guys that because you can have these little gems that happen anytime. And even when you think something is really terrible, chances are it's really great. And there's someone out there that's going to love it. Not that it doesn't maybe need work, need strengthening, need editing, but just because you think it's bad. Honestly, in my experience, the things that you think are the worst that you've written are probably the best things that you've written. So don't get discouraged. Keep that in mind. There's someone up out there that is just going to connect with what you're writing and love it. So yeah, that was kind of my experience this week. Beyond that, we are doing great here. I don't know if it happened nationwide, but here, at least in Utah, the governor talked just a couple of days ago about starting to reopen things. All they've reopened so far are like public parks and some public places. Most uh, most businesses haven't reopened yet, and they probably won't for another month. But it's nice to see that the uh, virus may be on the downswing now, and, and we're getting there. So, And other than that, just plugging away at everything, just keeping writing and keeping my head down and doing what I got to do. So I hope everyone out there is well and safe. That is everything, and I hope that you're happy and doing well during this quarantine and can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It really is coming. Okay, well, let's get into the topic today. Uh, one thing that I've had a lot of questions about is how to start a scene, and especially how to start the first scene in your book. Now, the first scene in your book is something that's really important to talk about because you really don't have much time to hook a reader. I don't know what the statistics are. 75% <laughs> of all statistics are made up on the spot, and I can make something up, but I'm not going to. I, I just know that a lot of readers will only read the first couple of paragraphs of your book, and if you do not hook them, they will, they will walk away. They will put it down. Others will read a little bit more. They might read several paragraphs or several pages, but again, you have to hook them and hook them quickly. And it's very easy, even if you get, if you really nail that first line, to lose them in the first few paragraphs. This is illustrated by the fact that Amazon has that look inside feature on most books and people can see the first 20%. So a lot of readers do that. They go at the, and look at the look inside and if they aren't hooked in that first 20%, they won't buy the book. So you definitely need to make sure that your opening scene is really, really stellar. So I have created a PDF for you, which you can get, you can download from the show notes. And it's a it's just basically a list of do's and don'ts when you're writing your first scene. We're going to start with the don'ts. And these are things that a lot of, they're mistakes that are, a lot of writers make and that will just kill your first scene. So don't do it. <laughs> All right. The first one is, number one, do not open with scenery weather, or other flowery descriptions. Of course, the famous, infamous joke way to open is the, it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah, don't do that. It's, it's kind of a classic novel that does that, but it's made fun of for a reason. Just using the it was makes it passive, which means it's a very weak sentence and readers won't connect with it. It's okay to set up a scene, but you know, and maybe mention that the character is walking down the street and it's sunny outside, but you don't want to do that in the very first line either. And you certainly don't want to go on and on and on about the weather and about the scene. The first scene, there, there will be time for that later. The first scene needs to focus on other things. Number two, do not open with backstory. So you don't want to talk about 
you know, your character's name is Linda. Linda is a teacher, and two years ago, she was dating this guy. You don't want to start with that, okay? There will be time to work in the backstory later during the story. In the moment, you need your audience to connect with that character on a very deep level, and backstory will immediately put them off because it's boring, because they don't know who this character is yet, so they don't care about the backstory. Number three, don't open in the middle of too much action. You actually want to start with some action, but you don't want to open in the middle of a fight scene or a dance competition or, you know, like if you throw your reader into too much action, they don't know what's going on and you're going to lose them. So again, there will be plenty of time for action scenes as the story moves on, but just don't start in the middle of one. And number four, do not open with a dream or flashback sequence. That's because this can confuses the reader. You need to start them in the middle of the story, and I, I'll get to that in more detail in just a minute. You need to start them in the middle of sort of the conflict, but if you start with a dream or flashback, it, it's kind of like with backstory. If you literally start the first line in the middle of a dream or flashback, it, it confuses them, and they don't understand what's happening, and they don't understand how that's going to connect with the story, and you're not grounding them in the story immediately, which is what you're looking to do in your first line and in your first scene. Even if you don't open with it, if you kind of introduce the character and then jump into a flashback or dream, again, it's kind of like the backstory. We don't know that character yet, so we don't really care about them yet, so that's going to lose the reader. All right, so don't do those four things. They are sure to kill your first scene. The reader will put the book down if you're trying to get a traditional publishing deal with a publisher or an agent. Yeah, they're going to put it right down if you do any of those things in, that, in your first scene. So don't do those. All right, so then let's talk about what you should do. You always need to start with one character, their thoughts, their feelings, and their reactions. In a way, we need to start inside this character's head. So when I said before, you need to put them in the middle of an action, not an action scene, like a fight scene, but they need to be doing something and kind of in the middle of a conflict, that's because we need to be inside their head and immediately feel like we are riding around behind their eyes. I'm going to give you some examples, but let's go through these really quickly, and then I'll come back and, and kind of illustrate them for you. Uh, the second one that you should do is start in the middle of a conflict. Again, not a huge high action fight scene, but some sort of conflict that they're dealing with and probably thinking about and reacting to in some way. Um, you do need to, of course, introduce the protagonist. You can give them some physical attributes. Again, don't sit there and describe them in detail for paragraphs and paragraphs, but you can work in a few physical attributes. But mostly we're looking for their thoughts and kind of trying to get a very small sense of their personality from what we are seeing in the scene. So give us their personality and set the tone both for their character and for the scene. So how do we do that? If your book is going to be, say, a mystery or a thriller or you know, something that's that's pretty, has a lot of darkness and danger, you might want to set your first scene up that way because it will set a tone for the entire story. On the other hand, if this is like a rom-com, maybe that it needs to be a sunny day and something funny needs to happen right off the bat to give the, the reader a sense of how the rest of the book is going to progress. The same is true of the character's personality. We're going to be inside their thoughts, right, if you're doing this correctly. So if they're a really sarcastic person, put that in the first scene. You, you know, right off the bat, let us see what their personality is. If they're really dark and broody, show us that. If they're super sad, depressed kind of person, well, let's hope your main character isn't that, but show us that, you know, show us, show us their personality, give us a tone for what we can expect for, throughout the rest of the book. And finally, this has to do with your opening scene rather than the opening line necessarily, but make sure that your inciting incident, which should happen in the first scene, again, I'll get to the more of that in just a minute, make sure that it connects directly to the climax of your story or the end of your story. The reason for that is that the end should mirror the beginning in some way, and I will probably talk about this more on a later episode. It actually kind of goes hand in hand with setting up the tone of your story, because even though the reader won't know how what they're seeing in the first scene is going to connect 
to the ending. Once it does, it will create a sense of completeness of the story coming full circle. All right, so let's do some examples. One story I read some time ago that I really thought did this well is a fantasy series called The Sword of Truth by Terry Goodkind. In the very first scene of the very first book, you have the main character, whose name is Richard, and he's looking at a plant. The author does it really well. We start in his head, and he's staring at this plant, and it starts by saying that he doesn't understand why this plant was in his house. He knows it's a poisonous plant. He knows what it is, and he's a woods guy, so he's he's very knowledgeable about the plants that grow in the woods around his home, but he had found this in his home, and he doesn't understand why it's there. Then he goes on in the next couple of sentences to say that his father had recently passed away. You know, he thought it was completely of natural causes and had no suspicion at all that anything might have have been wrong about his father's death until he found this poisonous plant in his house. And he's very seriously staring at this plant, trying to figure it out in his mind because his father had no reason to have that plant in the house. All right. So right there, we've set the tone. Something's wrong here. It's going to be kind of a mystery. He's got to figure this out. We automatically have the conflict. His father passed away, which means... You know, he's already probably dealing with sadness and grief over the loss of his father. Now he's worried that his father might have been murdered. Okay, so we instantly have a conflict. Because we're in his thoughts as he thinks about this, that gives us an idea of his character and his personality. It's just done really, really well. Definitely started in the middle of the conflict. Definitely uh, described the protagonist. I think we did get a few physical attributes. I'd have to go back and look and see what they were, but I think it does describe him a little bit. We definitely got a little bit of his personality, uh, set the tone for the story. Then there's the inciting incident connecting to the end of the story. Without spoiling too much, let's just say that he does figure out through the course of the story who the bad guy was, and he has to make a decision about justice for that bad guy, which ends up playing into the climax of book one. This is a long series, but this is book one we're talking about. So it definitely did tick all of these boxes, and it definitely did not do any of the things that you're not supposed to do. It didn't It didn't open with scenery, weather, or flower descriptions. We did get a little bit of the forest. Again, it, it did set the setting. It didn't do it in the first line. He was staring at this plant, and it probably took two or three sentences for us to learn that he was actually out in the woods looking at this rather than sitting at home in a chair. But that's because it started with his thoughts, but really quickly, within a few sentences. We knew that he was out in the woods. Didn't open with his backstory. There is the bit about his father dying, but again, it wasn't an info dump. And if you're not familiar with what info dump is, that's just a common term for giving us paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of information that aren't part of the narrative. You know, you're like deviating from what's happening in the moment, from the action, from the character's thoughts to tell the audience something. Okay, that's what an info dump is. And it didn't do that. It just it made the backstory part of the character's thoughts. And I'm I'm totally paraphrasing here. I'm not reading it from the book, but it was kind of like when his father died, however long ago, he hadn't thought anything was wrong. His father had been ill for some time and then he found this plant and now he was worried. So it, it really wasn't a backstory info dump. It was a couple of sentences so that you understand the conflict, not all of the details that led up to the conflict. So there's a difference there. It didn't open in the middle of too much action. And this is a really good way to illustrate that because obviously there was some action going on in that he was looking at this plant and thinking about it and holding it in his hand. So the action was just him having found this plant and sitting there trying to figure it out. But it wasn't an action scene where he's fighting someone with a sword, right? It was just action that was related to the conflict, but not an action scene. And of course, there was no dreamer flashback there. Did you know you can work with me? I help aspiring authors craft unforgettable stories so they can become respected, working fiction authors. Because being an author is a calling, and if it's calling to you, visit www.authorlkhill.com forward slash power hour to book a power hour with me.
You are a storyteller, and you ought to be paid for your stories. So let's get things rolling. Again, that's www.authorlkhill.com forward slash power hour. I'm actually running a special right now. My power hour is for a very limited time, 70% off. So you can get a 59 minute coaching call for $59. You heard that right. Only $59, but this isn't going to last very long. So make sure and take advantage of it. Hop over and book your call today. I hope to hear all about your ingenious story very soon. Bye for now. Let's talk about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets real fast, because this is another one that I think does a really good job of the opening sequence and how it ties into the rest of the story. So again, we're talking specifically about book two. What was the opening scene and inciting incident of book two for Harry Potter? Think about it for a sec. I'll give you a sec. (laughs) The answer is it was Dobby showing up, right? We have a lot of humor in that and it's a really fun scene. But like I said, I specifically wanted to talk about how it connects to the rest of the story. Because as we go into the story, neither we, the audience, nor Harry understands what's up with Dobby. Like, we don't know how that's going to connect to the rest of the story. What we know is that he doesn't want Harry to go to Hogwarts, but we have no idea why. And it actually takes probably two-thirds of that book before we figure it out. It turns out that he does doesn't want Harry there because he knows the Chamber of Secrets has been opened and he is very loyal to Harry and wants to protect him. And what is the climax of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? It's where he goes into the Chamber of Secrets and meets, you know, teenage diary Voldemort. So you see what I'm saying? The inciting incident shouldn't be Harry stubbing his toe and hurting himself in some random incident. It really needs to, even though it seems random at the time, and we may not understand why it's not random, that's okay, but it needs to connect to your climax. It really does. And that will make the story seem very complete and like it really comes full circle. And if the protagonist doesn't know what's going on in the inciting incident, you're just kind of presenting it as something of a mystery to the audience, that automatically hooks them and it'll keep them moving through the story. So yeah, I wanted to use that as an example too. J.K. Rowling's always really good with this, so study her first scenes, you know, study her first lines. You'll be able to see this. We always start inside Harry's head uh, with something he is thinking about, with something he is worried about. In the second one, I believe we start with the fact that he hasn't gotten any letters from his friends at Hogwarts and how distressed he is by that. In the third one, I believe we start with him under the window listening to the news and we hear about Sirius Black. So once again, all the boxes are ticked, right? We get in his head. At this point, we already kind of know who Harry is and his personality because we're on book three, but still we get that. We get a sense of his personality. We get a sense of how things have gone for him over the summer and we're instantly introduced to something that's going to be part of the climax of that particular book. I think I'm going to end there. This is a lot of information. Go and download that PDF and look at your opening scene and make sure that you're not doing any of the do-nots and that you are doing all of the do's. And the other thing is, this doesn't have to just go for your opening scene. You can adapt this for any scene in your novel for the beginning of any chapter because you should never start with the weather. You should never start by info dumping with backstory, okay? You should always start in the middle of the action in some character's head and then briefly introduce the scene and immediately jump into the conflict for that scene. All right, so this is a template not only for the first scene of your book or the first scene of your series, but for the first part of any chapter or any scene, okay? If you are opening a scene and it's clunky and people, you're going to lose people and You'll kind of know that as you start to edit, people will tell you that, that you need to start in a different place. But this will give you a really good jumping off point for how to start your scene and how to instantly pull people into it. I promise if you do these things, the beginnings of your scenes or your chapters or your books will be 100% better than if you're doing any of the do nots or not doing any of the do's, if that makes sense. All right, go download your PDF and 
get started on those beginnings of scenes. And I will see you next time. If you would like to support the show as a patron, hop over to www.patreon.com forward slash story savant. If you're big on Facebook, join our Facebook community at bit.ly forward slash story savant Facebook. To get a free PDF of my nine essential plot points for a page turning story, sign up at bit.ly forward slash story savant courses. All these links are in the show notes. Hi there. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would appreciate it so much if you could leave me a review on iTunes. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media platform and tag me. Remember, only you can tell your story and there are tons of people out there waiting to connect with it. So get out there and write the best story you can write. Remember, only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So be a story savant and get out there and get that sucker written.